0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the
1: Full Tank Motorcycle Podcast. How's it going, Tim? It's
0: going well. It's pretty cold here, so it's not riding weather, but it's nice enough. How are you?
1: Not bad. Managed to sneak out a few times between cold days and wet days and whatnot, but the rest of the time, we've been staying warm by visiting motorcycle shows and... I think, as a result, there's a few news stories that might have flown under the radar. So I thought we'd do a quick review this week of some that kind of caught my eye. Number one, then, is this one on MCN, 10 It might be the end of Loud Exhaust. So there's a company that does car mods in Yorkshire or something. Yeah, in Wakefield. Hmm. And they just got prosecuted, I believe, for offering a remap for cars that's called their Pop and Bang Remap Software Upgrade. So basically, I think what that probably does is adds a little bit of yeah. fuel, almost runs with too much fuel so that there's unburnt fuel in the exhaust system. And that's where, it, that's where mm-hmm. you get the after fire, isn't it? And the after pops is, is when that stuff just yeah. um, ignites because the exhaust system is hot. And it does sound cool. It makes a car sound like a rally car, basically. But this is like a huge moment, probably, because there's so many companies that exist that are purely there to make your vehicle you know massively in the biking world sound better but louder but maybe less sociable so do you think this is like yeah, that's a
0: polite way of putting it yeah
1: what's your stance on here are you a loud exhaust fan or are you a stock exhaust kind of guy nowadays
0: i used to get or quite like a loud exhaust mm. and i used to want my car To have a loud exhaust when I first passed, of course, everyone does. And I wanted it to sound like a rally car, and the same with bikes, to a degree. But I'll be honest, it was the just the second bike that I had that had a a ridiculous, like a cheap exhaust. It was a Beowulf exhaust Mm. on a Honda Hornet. And I absolutely hated it, because you'd be sitting on, like, for most of what we're doing, it's like 40-50, but sustained speed, right? Mm. And it would just bore its way into your ear, so you needed earplugs. Um, and it just wound me up a little bit. It was great when you were on song, you know, if you're actually, you know, um, doing something a bit more dynamic, it was not bad, but uh, it was too loud. And then I have changed exhaust on loads of them. I think my favorite sound was like the V7, which actually wasn't that kind of abusive to your ears because it was a little bit lower yeah. in the register, which usually sounds a bit better. But I've gotten to the point where, to be honest, I don't really care about the exhaust. I want to hear something because I want, that does, it's it's a full sort of experience and it does feel lacking if you can't hear what the bike's doing. It helps you control it a little bit as well because you know what you're doing with the revs. It encourages you a little bit more as well. You sort of feel like you're going faster. So I get wanting a noise, but I think we've talked about this before. I prefer it coming from the front, like the airbox, as opposed to the exhaust where it's behind your ear. you don't really hear it. And that's just for everyone else to annoy them. So I'd prefer to have some sort of encouragement from the bike, but probably from the front.
1: Yeah, like the MT-09, we were talking about that at Motorcycle Live. It's got the grills now in the top of the tank that were previously on the MT-10. And so, yeah, legally, it's still within the limits at the exhaust. But in terms of the riding experience, hopefully it's a bit more exciting because it's just piping it into your face. Yeah. And I think I'm probably in a similar mindset to you now. I used to have a really loud bike. Then I had a a slightly less loud one. And then now I'm sort of enjoying bikes that are a reasonable volume level, um, but just have, like you say, the right timbre and depth and growl to them. Yes. Um, but it doesn't necessarily necessarily have to be super loud. And I think that might be a change in the sort of riding I'm doing as well, because like you say, if you're doing steady miles or motorway stuff, it does become a bit irritating. It sort of makes me think of, um, Jekyll and Hyde who fitted, I had a Indian FTR as a long-termer and it has a button where you can switch between. So it's closed by default, but then you hit the button on the bars and it opens a valve and that makes it a bit louder. Um... But it's got me thinking, like, if this company are now unable to legally sell something that just boosts the noise on cars, like, is everybody open to potential legal problems like Jekyll and Hyde, like the, the yeah. kind of UK companies like Delcovic or uh, Black Widow, yeah. and even kind of major manufacturers, I think, are very cautious of this now. Like, they don't, you know, often exhaust, say, race only or track only. Yeah. Um, and anything that you do get that's aftermarket or like an accessory, sorry, from an official manufacturer tends to be pretty quiet now. And it's mainly for looks. And then the other thing that yeah. I've seen as well, you know, Triumph, uh, a couple of years back with the Trident, they didn't even offer an accessory exhaust they said they couldn't they couldn't find any performance benefits to offer to the customer like it wasn't worth developing something it's kind of a ripoff to charge a grand for a nice looking pipe but then recently they've come back with a partnership with a and so the tiger 900 for example and probably some of the other newer bikes you can get um, an accessory pipe now which has been you know out of their range for a while but now they're really emphasizing the looks i think and also the weight loss um if you build out of titanium and carbon you can probably shave off a kilogram or two which is pretty significant you know so maybe this is it mate and also like what about individuals now i know in the mot already they measure the sort of sound level quite casually oh but i wonder if it's going this way and you'll end up getting in trouble
0: i would say i'm conflicted on it um because i don't think i've not noticed that it's a huge problem to be honest like it's we've gotten this far with it being as loud as it is and there is a restriction at the moment you can't go above a certain amount right legally at least they could still pull you over and go your exhaust is too loud or like you say going through an mot or you know when they're passing them through these things so yeah one point is that manufacturers you're right like the they're not there's no performance uh, benefit to sticking on aftermarket exhaust. So the performance benefits, like you're saying, from Triumph is that it's a little bit lighter. And, you know, so there is something at least that justifies going for it or it looks better or it's smaller, whatever it might be. But, yeah, I think they, I think that, well... I'm pretty confident they're going to take it too far and just say no noise from any vehicle, which uh, at some point, hopefully that's way off in the distance because I think that's unnecessary, to be honest, because vehicles make noise. And if they didn't make noise, you'd step out into the street more. I mean, like, that's what happens with electric cars
1: anyway. Maybe, yeah. And also, like, the other thing that... Is a bit sad about it for me i get it look i get like when there's a really loud bike going past i'm just like it doesn't need to be that loud but the flip side is sort of um one of the things i love about motorcycling is all the little different interesting subcultures that people can get into and like the retro kind of custom scene that sort of um, centers around the bike shed and that kind of vibe and then you've also got like custom cruisers they tend to be quite loud and that sort of thing and also, to some ex- extent, like sports bikes, they do sound good with a bit more of a rasp to them. And it just feels a bit like if people can't spend their free time doing stuff like modifying their bike to make something they're really passionate about and proud of. Oh, I'm probably being a bit like, woe is everybody or a bit dramatic. Mm. But it's like, what? what are you meant to spend your time doing? It feels a little bit like a sanitization of people's lives if they're not allowed to just express themselves yeah. doing things that they really enjoy. That's kind of the downside for me yeah. massively. Yeah. Uh, but I think you're right. There is a, there's a balance,
0: isn't there? There definitely is a balance, and you're right. I think sanitization is a good word to use on that one. Um, and I think at a certain point, you're going to be taking it too far. And I think they probably will at some point, much
1: like they have with the speed limits down to 20 in Wales, which... Oh, mate, I, we, I don't know if we've got time well, to get which, into that. Like. That's another article, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, people are very passionate about that. I think people will be passionate about this as well. But look, like you say, bikes are going to be naturally getting quieter as things move towards electricity and we had a big story here again that maybe would just fly under the radar when you've got all these new super duke 1390s being announced and all this flashy stuff but actually i think Mm. in terms of like where the market's going and what's going to be important in the next few years this is massive so Mm. it's a press release from honda and it's their 2023 briefing on honda electric motorcycle business And these bullet points make for quite interesting reading, I reckon. So number one, their global sales target of electric bikes in 2030. They originally set it at three and a half million bikes, but they've upped it for some (laughs) reason, thinking that that wasn't difficult enough to four million. They're going to aim to sell four million electric bikes a year by 2030. Also by 2030, they're going to introduce 30 electric models globally. That's a lot, mate. Hell yeah. (laughs) Impressive, yeah. They're going to further accelerate cost reduction initiatives to reduce the current cost of electric bikes by 50%, which I think that's one of the big... Look, there's two big problems people have with electrics. Three, sorry. (laughs) Number one, no kind of soul compared to a petrol bike. You're never really going to get around that. Any synthetic attempt to create that, like the way that the Harley Livewire throbs at a standstill, it's not the same. And I think we just have to accept that. Number two is infrastructure. Like it's hard to charge that easily and you have to plan ahead a lot. But the more electric bikes on the road and electric cars, the easier that's probably going to get. So their Mm. goals to um, sell 4 million units by 2030 is probably going to help with that. And then number three Mm. is the cost. Like zeros are like, or they used to be about 20 grand and a lot of them still are. The Harley S2 Del Mar that we're going to review in a week or two, that's not far off 20 and so comparatively versus an electric bike like a 10 grand for an mt09 that's an absolute who it doesn't look great and so this initiative to reduce cost by 50 percent definitely seems like an important one and then they invest in 100 billion yen over the next five over the five years from 21 to 25 and another 400 billion yen over the five-year period up to 2030 for a total investment of 500 billion yen over 10 years. I did the currency translation for that conversion, rather, and it's uh, nearly three billion pounds, I believe. That's the sort of money I can't even get my head around as to whether that's a lot or not.
0: Yeah,
1: you might as well have made up a word
0: for the amount that makes sense to me. Um, there's a few things there. So in terms of like getting numbers out, they, I'd be interested to see how that sort of factors into their um, current figures of selling bikes, bearing in mind that a lot of their market would be the smaller
1: um, things like the Cub and stuff, right? So um, I think in a year they sell the something like 20 or 30 million bikes globally. It's like okay. the, the second place manufacturer is one of the Japanese big four as well, I think. And they're more like 5 million. It might be Yamaha or mm-hmm. someone like that. And it's all those little one-two-five bikes and scooters yeah. that they make that really make up the bulk of that. Um, yes, but still, and if they're doing electric
0: bikes, it's easy to do you know the smaller capacity ones or you know the equivalent of a one-two-five. Mm. So when they talk about numbers, I guess my my initial thought was oh big bikes so that'd be like the um, like mm. the zeros and stuff, but it's probably not. If they're talking four million, a huge percentage of that will probably be the
1: little tiny ones. So a good example of probably what they mean is in China you can buy the electric version of the Cub called the Cub E, and there's also a Dax E, I believe. Uh, So there's the Cub E, the Dax E, and then that Zuma looks like a Grom. Uh, not a Grom. What's that one called? A Ruckus in the US, Mm. like a more utilitarian-looking thing. Thoughts on these? That looks like what I was
0: expecting, to be honest. And you know what? They're good fun, but that is a city commuter, town commuter, short trip, Like a good alternative to if you can't cycle or if you just don't want to, and you want something a bit smaller. But
1: yeah, I think like looking at these bikes as well, I agree they are sort of city biased. In fact, if you look at them, have they all got actual bicycle pedals? So they're more like an e-bike. Yeah, I mean, look at the. They have also if you if you're trying to gauge the horsepower levels of a given vehicle without. Um, necessarily knowing the full specs. They're probably in here, but like just glancing at it from the girth of that chain, I'm thinking it's not a lot. That's a bicycle chain. <laughs> <Yeah>. It ain't, <laughs> ain't going to be okay, Panigali well,
0: levels, is it? So the two ways you normally do that at a glance are... Rear wheel size, like tyre tread, mm-hmm. and then the chain the is another one, right? Um, so for that, that looks like a 50cc to me. That's pretty small. But then, if you have to use the pedals at some point, if that adds some big whopping great tyre on it and a fat chain, then you'd need thighs like Chris Hoy to get that thing moving. So I thought if it's that. a backup it, it, cycle...
1: It looks like a an e-bike but with all the added weight of a motorcycle but i can't quite figure out if they actually are pedals or not they do look like it don't they They're but i don't pedals, know if they just yeah
0: yeah look, that one and the red one that's that's got a little yeah you can spin that round
1: look it's got mm, room in yeah. there to actually pedal it the other thing that uh, i was noticing on here though is that they say that their targets for operating profit for 2030 are 10 percent for all their motorcycle business and more than 5% for electric motorcycles specifically. So, as a subdivision of that. And again, I think that's an interesting target because, well, look, it's different, isn't it? Because they're obviously doing all the urban mobility stuff, these smaller kind of bikes. But if you look at something like zero, I don't think they've turned a profit in their entire existence. It's one of those kind of startup vibes where they just get loads of investment and hope that eventually, at some point in the future, they might be profitable or worth something. And so I think it's difficult because obviously, like, this is, you know, it's not stamping out another CB650 or something like that where they've used the same engine for ages and they're just chucking another bike out with a different headlight on it this is where you're having to put loads and loads of investment into developing something completely new and so naturally the costs are going to be super high um and so if they can make it profitable then it just becomes part of their core business and that's when we'll probably see like a huge change um but it's probably only honda who can afford to do that because of that huge amount of bikes sold every year the just sheer size of their business they can actually afford to go for it and push hard. And so, look, I think this is a a big moment where we're going to see the big change. If the biggest manufacturer in the market is about to make a big push, then that's probably, it's time, mate. Time's up. Yeah,
0: that sounds about right. (laughs) Time's up. Yeah, that sounds about right. I'd agree. And I think it could, I mean, it, it has to have been Honda to do that. It sort of feels like it's right up their street anyway.
1: Still, I think we've got a few good petrol bikes left, so I'm going to rattle through some of the more interesting announcements over the past uh, week or so that kind of fell outside of the the shows. I mean, firstly, the KTM 1390 Super Duke Mm. R was announced on Tuesday this week, so a couple days after, like a couple weeks after Eichmer, a couple days after Motorcycle Live. So a a shame not to see it in the flesh there, but. What's really interesting about this is they've gone for more and more and more power. It makes 190 horsepower now. So it's 10 horsepower up on the previous 1290 version. As you can imagine, they've done that by giving it a bigger engine, hence the name. Actually, only 49cc bigger, not 100, yeah. but still yeah. it's bigger and also it's got variable valve lift i believe it's got some kind of like shift cam type thing but it was a couple years ago the reason that they say they don't have a large capacity sports bike is because the kind of ceo of the Piera mobility group that owns ktm said that if your bikes are getting towards 200 horsepower they don't belong on the street there's no way you can use all that and basically bikes of that power only belong on the track and yet now they've got a 190 horsepower naked, and so it's a bit like, well, does he mean there's a hard cut off of 200, <laughs> 200 horsepower? Literally, where he finds it yeah, acceptable. 201 is too much. Where's the sweet spot, mate? Um, what's too much, and what's fine in your books? If his is 200, let's assume that's what he means.
0: I'd need to think what the most powerful thing I've sat on is. And it, I mean, the Panagali V4 has got to be up there if it isn't the most powerful thing I've sat on. It must be so. It must be. From our day of taking them out, I can't say it felt like too much, but then that's because I went in with an element of reserve on my right hand and I didn't just completely grip it and, uh, and flip the bike. So it depends how it's handled. It depends how it's delivered. What I would say about when you get to that really, really high standard of, of horsepower, it makes you want to use it, basically. That's the biggest risk is that it's pointless because, yeah, if the speed limit's 70, you won't even have to try to get to lose your license speed. So, uh, I, I don't know, mate. basically any bike I've ever had, and I'm sure you're the same, you'd be like, oh yeah, this is great. The first time you take it out, you're like, this is all I need for power. This is, why would anyone need anything more? And then you own it for like a week or something. Maybe it's even just in that day. By the end of the day, you're kind of like, yeah, I could take a bit more. When you get up to 200, I think he's got an argument there. I think 160, MT10 is like 160, and that felt about as fast as you would ever need from a bike so probably 150 160 is kind of the sweet spot for me the sweet spot where you can use it all uh, you still can't (laughs) use it all but yeah basically yes
1: yeah that panigale v4 i think is the most powerful bike i've ridden as well we were out there on a ducati media day i think it was interesting that both of us actually probably preferred the we were swapping between the panigale v4 and v2 weren't we back and forth and i think both of us actually preferred the slightly smaller bike and also because you're not using that extra 50 horsepower or so it didn't really make any difference to me
0: it's um i've just looked it up actually so the Panagali v4 i believe is about 210 211 ish around that it's over 200 so it's over his threshold for this should be on a track and i would say he's probably right because the thing is um you hear this from people who do race from people who really genuinely do know as opposed to two idiots um that you know they sometimes they'll prefer something like a 600
1: to a 1000 cc because they can use all of it you've said what the most powerful bike you've ridden is though but like what's the most enjoyable like if you can think of everything that we've reviewed and stuff like really the question is you said where the sweet spot is but i don't know if it is around that point like is there a bike that you can remember where you're like i'm just having the most fun on this it could be one that you owned as well in recent
0: memories some of the days that i've enjoyed most but it could be just the full conditions of it i think everything goes into it it's riding the right bike on the right road so if you have a sports bike and you're on a track it'll it'll feel really exciting but if you're on some b roads you probably want something a bit smaller and as weird as it's going to sound but one of my favorite bikes or experiences recently was the uh, cf moto little uh, sports bike There, I think it was a 300 it can't be more than a 400 um, and we took that over the roads in Spain which were absolutely back-to-back switchbacks which you know all too well and of the bikes that I tried on that day that was one of my favorites because you could absolutely full throttle the thing on every almost every that? corner and um, yeah you could you could have a great time with it so that was I mean that's got to be like 40 horsepower or something it's something smaller than that but Real small capacity, but it's more about, is the bike appropriate for the conditions? I guess it loops back to his theory, over 200 horsepower, track-ready bike. But uh, under that, then you can still use it on the road. So that was one of them. For another one for me, the V7 was just really satisfying for me because it felt like you were really engaged in what the bike was doing um like i had a street triple but it felt like the bike was doing was making me look good whereas with Mm. the v7 if i was riding well i could take
1: full satisfaction that i was a part of that system so (laughs) despite the bike you were still going at a decent yeah exactly yeah (laughs) i I often do the run to silverstone and back because there's lots of motorcycle manufacturers there and i go the same route through the cotswolds and it's not necessarily like the best roads and the best surface is, but it 's just a bit of everything you know there 's some tight turns there 's some longer ones there 's some slow bits there 's some quicker open bits there 's some single lane almost with a bit of like wet road and gravel and bumpy bits then there 's some nice smooth bits, and it 's good you know a couple of hours each way, so you get a bit of an idea of comfort levels as well that 's really interesting doing that a lot, picking different bikes up because it's almost like the most it 's the closest I can get to like a controls test. obviously, the weather might differ the traffic. Mm. Uh, but there's a bit of motorway at the end as well. And I just always think, like, the best rides... Like, sometimes I've got that crummy old SV650S that I use to drop off there and leave it in a garage for with one of the manufacturers whilst I bring one of their bikes back I can borrow it. Mm. And the rides there on a simple bike like that with a sporty position, 70 horsepower-ish, are really fun because uh, exactly like you say with the V7, if you're going quick, then you feel like it's more down to you. And yeah. also the feeling of, like, having it wide open is fun as well um, yeah. and you don't get that experience so much on the on the quicker bikes. All right, so we're saying s- between 40 and 70 horsepower. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, to be honest. For I don't I've think many th- people would agree with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, to be honest, I mean, what's mine, like 94 on the uh, Africa Twin? It is context dependent, right? Because mine's a heavier bike so that needs 100 horsepower to make it fun. If it was 70
1: horsepower on that bike, it'd feel a little bit sluggish. So, Funny, Um, though, actually, my Tiger 800 is the other bike that I do that run on quite a lot. Yeah. And more often on that, I feel a bit dissatisfied. It just needs another 10 or 20. It's like, like you say, heavier. It's got all the cases on. It's not as aerodynamic, I guess. And yeah, that that makes about 90. And sometimes I just think like I've got it wide open and it's just not as quick as I'd expect. Maybe that's why they made the new Tiger 900, 110 horsepower-ish, something Mm. around that area, isn't it? That actually yeah. sounds quite good. All right. Well, yeah. Okay. Context is the ultimate conclusion there. Thank you, Tim. It depends on the road, depends on the bike, depends on how you feel that day. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other bike that we are kind of interested in at the moment is the new BMW R12. We touched on this recently at the la- end of the last episode. Um, but I was kind of thinking about this one. It's been, you know, settling in a bit. It's one of the most interesting new bikes this last week or so. Mm. And I was like, I actually think it looks cool. And I don't know if they achieved that with the R18 that came before it. Mm. They certainly didn't with that R1200C uh, that came before that. Yeah. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Is it actually a cool bike? And does it mark a change for BMW in which they can successfully move into that cruiser market? Because I don't think the R18 has actually sold that well.
0: Yeah, I'd say it definitely puts forward a stronger case to move into the cruiser market. Yeah,
1: because it's not really a
0: cruiser it's kind of like a halfway it's like a mix of things it's a kind of hybrid which is great um because they haven't just copied someone else it offers something genuinely new or different from the competition so rather than just having you know different flavors uh, slightly different flavors on a, on a similar recipe you've got something which could potentially be genuinely very different to its competition so that excites me i guess because it is I know it's going to be or feel different to anything else I've ridden, which is always a, a fun proposition. Um, so yeah, I'm excited by that. I think it's. Uh, I think it'll do well for him.
1: Right, let's get the configurator open, but we'll just do one screen shared. Whoop! This is how to spec the perfect R12 to make it look really good. Here we go. This is going to be a work of art. First decision that you're going to have to make is the color and there are only three options i've got to say some manufacturers do this really well like royal enfield there's like eight colors for each bike yeah like triumph and bmw there tends to be two or three and one of them's always black which is fine it does look quite cool but here's the other mm. ones mate red with a bit of black mm. i prefer the well yeah no I prefer the black let's have a look at that black again or i know which option. one to go for that's option 719 for, right? option 719 maybe but it's another 2100 quid it's taken a 12 grand bike already up to 14 the only thing I don't like about this is the gold handlebar I've decided look this paint on uh, the back yeah. here looks great I like the yeah. little mud guard there the tank paint job's very nice as well but i'm wondering next step right pillion package or do you just go solo mate <laughs> <laughs> well the solo. wife
0: never comes on the bike with me
1: so i gotta just go solo for me lovely also by specking up that paint job which i just said added two grand you do get the yeah. fancy uh exactly. cylinder head covers uh rocker covers rather and then also the billet pack which gets you bar and mirrors yes maybe the levers and the reservoir caps And I think it looks like foot controls are on some billet parts as well. Mm -hmm. Equipment. This is the big one, mate. Do you go cast wheels? No. Um, No? (laughs) Almost certainly (laughs) not. I agree. Black spokes. Mm. Quite nice. Or gold spokes. That's a real tough one for me. Someone asked me on the video, by the way, are they tubeless? uh, Yeah, tubeless now. I think the spoke wheels on the previous gen R9T were tube type, which is definitely a downside. They, I think, are tubeless. In fact, I clicked Mm. on the configurator and they are. The gold is a bit bling and looks a bit adventure bikey, And it always looks good yeah. on adventure bikes. The black, I actually think, maybe looks better.
0: Yeah, I think for a cruiser, definitely. It makes the wheel almost look a little bit bigger as well, which is quite nice. As in the tyre, sorry. Yeah, like a, a bobble look. Like it's got yeah. a chunkier
1: tyre. I see what you're saying. Oh, we've already got the design option exhaust system. I don't know what that means. Heated grips? Nah. Nah. Bluetooth? 280 quid? That's steep. You bothered? Bluetooth? No, I've mm. used, with, with the ones
0: I've used in the past, no, it's unnecessary for me.
1: I don't know if we talked about this at the show, but you can replace the analog dash with mm. this mini TFT. It's only three and a half inches mm. in diameter, but basically it gives you a digital display. There you go.
0: Mm. You see that? Yeah, I did. For the clock, I think, yeah, analog for me. Do you? What do you? think. Yeah, what do you think?
1: Oh, For 120 quid, I think that's not bad. Like, I'm surprised it's not more than that. But okay, we'll get analog you're old school
0: i love that you're just accepting my position on this one you don't want to uh, fight me on it
1: i agreed on the wheels i feel like in i think i probably functionally prefer that digital dash but from a Mm. aesthetic perspective i think you're right cruise control for zero pounds obviously oh you have to add the (laughs) comfort package this is the thing right it says it's zero pound to add cruise control but You have to actually get it as part of the comfort package for £980, which gets you quick shifter, heated grips, cruise control, and hill start. I am not really that bothered about heated grips on a bike like this. It's not really a bike you're going to ride through winter. It looks too nice. Quick shifter, probably would prefer. Cruise control, almost certainly. Hill start, absolutely not bothered. But look, I've had to add it. And then (laughs) you can add a power reduction. You'd probably need that, mate. (laughs) Uh, but that's down to A2 Yeah, TPMS, probably not that bothered Headlight Pro, it's like cornering headlight Probably not that bothered, I'm gonna ride it in the summer Anti-theft alarm, not sure I'm not bothered Ding! Oh jeez £15,920 It looks good though, doesn't it? I'm happy with that. Yeah, I'll take that on. I agree with you. The only thing
0: I would change on that is the gold bars. I would put them to black for sure. But everything else I like.
1: I thought it was good value, this bike, versus the Triumph at least. Like at, at 12 grand starting price, it's not bad. Yeah, I know this is like such a cliche to say that uh, BMWs really rack up the, the squids when it comes to uh, accessorizing and stuff. But that is pretty impressive. Now look, the R12 is definitely cool. I don't know if you saw this, but... My question now is, is this bike cool? It's the Royal Enfields shotgun we direction. 650. Like, I remember when I was um, a young warthog, uh, I used to go out on the back <laughs> of my dad's Bullet 350. And I really yeah. enjoyed it. Like, I thought it was super fun. But I wouldn't necessarily say that I thought that Enfields were like what you would typically state as cool bikes. You know, mm. that was at a time when, like, sports bikes in the 90s and stuff and... Uh, were like very popular and deemed to be cool and like nakeds and stuff. Enfields were like, you know, for the classic enthusiast and that sort of thing. And the retro scene wasn't really a thing, was it? It was like, you probably like classic bikes and went to classic bike shows and stuff like that. Or there was the more modern edge. Retros have become a thing. And then I think Enfield have very much been in the sort of like old school looking area for Mm. a while. But this is a bit of a change, isn't it? It's got the kind of like old school stance but actually, the finish on it is almost contemporary. And it has me wondering, are Enfields now deemed to be cool bikes? Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm
0: contractually obligated to say yes. Oh! Um, <laughs> Tim's, Tim's got a vested interest here, just for full disclosure. I have, yeah. Don't take my opinion. This is not an objective viewpoint at all. His employers no, it, just it is, took on,
1: you have to state <laughs> his employers just took on Royal Enfield as a... They're a dealership now.
0: I did it. But I do not mince my words. If I didn't think it was cool, I would probably just say nothing. Um, but if I think it's cool, I will say so. And I, I would say, uh, yeah, with the advent of uh, cafe races, although obviously we're sort of shifting out of that now, it's becoming less popular. We are drifting, we think, back into kind of sports bikes and adventure Nin- bikes. 90s being- vibe, yeah. The, yeah, for the Cafe Racer, that style of bike, yeah, absolutely, I think Royal Enfield are now uh, considered cool. And I think a lot of that comes from the Interceptor 650. They had a bit of a niche kind of following with the Bullets and stuff like that beforehand. And people kind of, um, they would customise them. You'd always think that it looked good, but now they can actually perform in there, uh, for me at least. They're more fun to ride. So, yeah, with the, the Twins, with this engine actually in particular um i think they've they've kind of turned their the opinion on them a little bit the finish is coming up a little bit more as well and you can customize them to the nines so you can make it
1: look like whatever
0: the hell you want it
1: to look like basically so that's what they were saying with this bike they're saying that they've designed it to be kind of modular this is the sg650 concept which they've sort of based it on yeah they based it on that that was a couple years back maybe Um, but with this, um, this is a run of 25 bikes, but it is probably what the production version is going to look like. You Mm. can actually, um, quite easily fit a rear rack so you can carry some luggage. And then on top of the rear rack, you can actually just with a key, like add the, um, passenger seat. So it's kind of like interchangeable, almost in the way, do you remember the street scrambler from triumph? You used to be able to switch between a rear rack and a passenger seat. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like that, but you can totally remove the whole rack and subframe and have it in Mm. this single seat setup. Proper cool. I like that. I think it's a nice idea. As for the paint job, mm, I do really like it. I hope they don't kind of... Because this is a a limited run of 25 bikes, which are probably already sold out, they're going to have to leave this one. It's not going to be obviously carried over to the production version, which I assume will be announced in the next few months. But I hope they don't go too plain and conservative after this. I hope they do something similarly punchy because it's like a cool new direction for them and a lot more like lo- less relying on the sort of old school image and more kind of moving into something a bit obviously fundamentally it's an air called twin and it's not mm. got bleeding edge tech or anything but looks wise i like where they're going with it the other thing that was announced recently was the pricing as well on the himalayans that came out from them I think this was announced while we were at Motorcycle Live the other day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. Himalayan 450. Looks like a big leap forward. Mm. And I believe each variant, let me just double check this because I don't want to get it wrong. But I believe they're coming in around the seven grand mark, which is going to make them look very, very tempting.
0: Yeah, I agree with that completely. I, I'm really interested in this bike. Um and this is one i could I could happily see myself on that. The only thing I will say about that is that um yeah i don 't necessarily dig the looks on it it 's not really my cup of tea. I think there are adventure bikes that I think we both agree pretty much that the Africa twin is kind of is our benchmark normally for adventure bikes looking cool mm. um and I think this is somewhat missed the mark as far as looks go, but as far as performance. And um knowing its market I think as well. I think they've done really well. Obviously we, we enjoyed going and doing the old Himalayan day uh and doing the adventure riding on that and both agreed that actually the power, although that one is fairly modest, um, felt fine when we were on green lanes and stuff. Didn't feel like you we'd lack in for power or wanted a lot more. So this one having it's probably near sort of double the power. Um is a really really appealing proposition to me
1: i got that slightly wrong i said seven grand it's actually um around six so five thousand seven hundred and fifty for the base brown model uh another hundred quid for the white is it and then the Mm. poppy blue it's called summit hanley black must be a premium job and then there's yeah that's the one with the gold rims and a a splash of gold and then there's the camet white and hanley black they're like different versions Uh, those top two get tubeless tires uh, Hmm. and they're 6250 and 6300. So you basically got a 500 quid-ish range there uh, depending on finish. Uh, I think almost certainly I'd have to go for tubeless uh, on this bike. And also they look great, those tubeless tires. That's on the sort of um, almost topographical scheme that we really liked at the show. It's good value that I think the 411, the previous gen Himalayan was around the 4750 mark. So obviously it's a bit of a step up, but it's a massive improvement in performance. You basically got double the power. Mm. And so I think it's going to be a lot more appealing. Definitely. Definitely. I guess, what does it go up against? KTM 390 Adventure, yeah. potentially? Uh, yeah, in my
0: mind, that's an easy comparison. Maybe the BMW uh,
1: GS G3, 310? G310 GS. So let's have a little look. I think for a 390 Adventure, you're looking at 6.5 grand mark, 6.599. Nine. And they do appear to be i think that's a little bit more premium spec but they're not a million miles apart no scrambler 400 if you want something with a bit more of an old school look to it mm. is 5595 so that's still yeah. looking very good on price that's also mm-hmm. a single around the 40 horsepower mark uh, but yeah obviously it doesn't get the screen and probably not as off-road capable and then the g310 gs Again, not as off-roady maybe because you've got the cast wheels, the wheels yep. aren't as big, but that's 5, eight, 90, So there's lots to choose from there. The, the mm. KTM is definitely at the top end, but it gets things like um, a TFT dash that has quite a lot of yeah. functionality. Suspension is really good because it's WP, which is their in-house stuff. Um, which of the bunch would you pick?
0: If I was going off-road, it'd be the Himalayan. If I was taking one off road seriously, it, I wouldn't even, It wouldn't even be a question for the other ones. That is more off road capable. If I was going for road riding, then you're right. The KTM offers a little bit more functionality. Um, so well, maybe could you live KTM. with the
1: looks on that though?
0: Well, no. But uh, <laughs> um, mm. if I was, I mean, if I was going for pure vanity, which is my normal stance, then I'd be going for the Triumph because it does look very nice. But. Mm. Uh, yeah I think genuinely if I was going off road there is only one I would consider out of that bunch and it would be the Himalayan
1: I think I'd agree road riding the scrambler looks pretty cool Himalayan on the other side looks great and the pricing Mm. yeah isn't a huge difference so take your pick last one I wanted to just talk about as well Speaking of Triumph, was the the brand new Triumph motocross bike, which they've announced the full details of. The price comes in at just under 10 grand. It's really hard for me to judge whether this bike looks good or not. Apparently, it's very, very different in terms of the frame design to the norm. So I think the Japanese motocross bikes that are similar competitors to this use aluminium frames like that so maybe like the the yamaha wr or something like that i believe the european built bikes so that would probably be like ktm husky gas gas use like a steel frame so it's kind of different Uh, but also the frame design is specific to triumph and also the engine design is specific to them as well so it's not just licensed out from like an existing manufacturer and then just slap Mm. a triumph logo on it so i think that's Mm. i mean they had to do something to differentiate it because the the triumph brand has no history in motocross really and so Mm -hmm. you couldn't just license a a design and put the badge on because it just wouldn't mean anything and so Mm. what you've got to do i guess is Bring something that actually has some sort of specific performance characteristics to it that make it Mm. appealing, hopefully, or some kind of innovation or, like, developments. I guess what is interesting about this, mate, though, is, like, they did send the press release to me, but it feels like a completely different audience. I don't think anyone that watches my channel is realistically going to be considering just buying a... You know, this isn't road legal either. It's not like uh, one of those Enduro-type bikes that comes with, like, the headlight and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah true this is a pure
1: you know track bike it Mm. feels like a completely different audience and i'm not that familiar with the motocross kind of media but i googled it earlier and tried Mm. to find articles about it just to see whether people were like impressed with it on paper Mm. i couldn't really get a gauge of like whether people think that this looks like a good design or not it looks cool i can tell you that
0: yeah it looks the same as other motocross bikes that i've seen but that's to the
1: untrained eye isn't it
0: Sure, I don't think there's. I, I genuinely don't think there's as much um, difference or contrast between the overall look of any of those bikes. There's mm. little bits, but I, I think largely they look the same. If you took off all the badges on that one, I'd guess that it was maybe a new Husqvarna or something like that. Um, yeah, I don't. I honestly, I don't even know if I could wade in on the the question of it. Really, I think my my guess would be this will sell off the back of performance and I mean in the same way that people buy the race bikes because they want to feel like they're getting some piece of what their favorite racer is using if mm. they started competing with this and it started winning in those circles then I think people will buy it but um yeah nearly 10 grand for a dirt bike um I don't know. It's a, different, it's a very different audience than you or I. So.
1: Well, I mean, that just really depends on, um, you know, the other options on the market. It's hard for us to gauge yeah. whether that's good value or not. It seems like the comments, though, on their launch video are, like, really positive. I know, like, probably there's some management of that, potentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but people aren't afraid to let brands know if they think it looks kind of... Um, sure. But generally, hopefully some of these people are from an MX background. And like scanning through, I was finding it hard to find anything that looks particularly detrimental. But I think you're right. It really will come down to the racing. Look, someone's like, can't wait to see it in Supercross. Um, And I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. I love, though, this new Triumph Racing Yellow that they've started introducing across some of their bikes. Um, yeah. That's the, kind of like a, a recent decision to have this um, very punchy yellow color as one of the options. Mm. You can now get it on the Trident look as a little accent, which mm-hmm. I, I just think it it almost gives them a pop. That's on the Moto2 Street Triple Edition. Mm. I believe they'll be using it on yeah anything that's kind of like performance-based.
0: Yes, that makes sense.
1: But it almost gives them like a signature color now that's really popping and yeah. la KTM with orange, for example, where yeah. it's not, it's very noticeable. And it's
0: similar to some of the Yamaha designs that they used to have, like the fluo. Is it fluo yellow? It's sort of a kind of a yellow on the MT10s. Oh, and MT,
1: there you go. This one? Yeah. On the wheels. Yeah, it's a very similar color scheme. But I, I don't know if that was ever like, if you think of like Yamaha's racing color, it's blue in it
0: yeah no it's, it's nice i guess I what don't they're doing they do
1: like a signature color like that before
0: what it looks like is that they're doing um like you say if it's race ready or if it's got some sort of race pedigree attached to it maybe that's the color they use to sort of call that out which is really cool and then triumph always used to do really bright garish colors when you're thinking of like the speed triples and stuff that came out originally and street triples and things the idea
1: was that they went as loud and as wacky with the colors as they could so yeah it's nice to see it come back ah it's got me thinking though it's like yeah great you've got a signature color now that is great and it's very noticeable and punchy and it goes well with like the triumph logo and it makes the bike look quite cool but there's only value in having like a really recognizable signature color if you get good results like you were saying it literally does all come back to that doesn't it You've put a target
0: on your back, basically, haven't you? Yeah, and I think with this, uh, yeah, hundred percent, with this kind of bike, because it is a new foray for them to go into. Um, yeah, they need to come out of the the gate um, quick. Swing to come out swinging, yeah. All
1: right. Well, thank you very much, Tim, for your accompaniment on that odyssey through some of the more perhaps niche motorcycle news stories over the past few weeks. But I did enjoy a little look at some of those in depth as always thanks to everybody for listening if you're on audio you've got youtube where you can see full episodes with video or the clips channel as well where you can see our little highlights pulled out on the flip side if you're watching on youtube uh you do have the option (laughs) of going to your favorite podcast player and just listening to us if you're out doing the gardening on a ride maybe a long drive pass the time with myself and tim but anyway we'll be back soon i think tim you're coming to the studio next week so we can review this um live wire s2 del mar which i'm really looking forward to so we'll probably do an episode around that yeah so yeah look forward to speaking to everybody then see you soon bye